0: Welcome to the BPA University podcast. This episode, Demise of the Third-Party Cookie and Its Significance for Digital Publishers, was originally broadcast on September 28th, 2020. For more BPA University podcasts, check out iTunes, Google Podcasts, of the third and Spotify. the Third-Party
1: Cookie and Its Significance for Digital Publishers, or as I've read in several pieces, the coming of the adpocalypse or the cookiepocalypse. Our uh, presenters are from Tech Lab, IAB, from ALM, and MediaFuse. As Glenn, oops, as Glenn had mentioned, Angelina Eng um, is a board member of BPA, full transparency, uh, when she was at Morgan Stanley. And when she left Morgan Stanley and moved over to the IAB and the IAB tech lab, handling all things that are measured in attribution uh, related, it made quite good sense, in our opinion, hand in glove, for her to remain on our board, uh, namely because the IAB and tech lab hire BPA to do the independent third party verification against many of the tech lab standards. Uh, The ones that come to mind immediately would be the podcast measurement standards and the uh, data label transparency initiative that's datalabel.org. And so in effect, Angelina's organization hires us to do certifications. Joanne Kropp, also a member of the BPA board at American Lawyer Media or ALM Media, um, she's vice president and product and data strategy there, and prior to that was at Informa, and then even before that with the Info Group and Walter Carl. So she's got a great, great perspective on all kinds of party cookies, first, second, and third. And so we'll have an interesting uh, element there. And Paul Salomon is with Media Fuse. Media Fuse is the technology support to the BPA Media Exchange, and that's the co-op that we have for automated buying and selling of advertising. So for all of us who are on the line today that are on the media buying side and might not have known that BPA has a programmatic marketplace for audited B2B uh, website traffic. And we use MediaFuse as our tech stack, if you will, uh, for the supply side of the equation. And most recently on the data side, so Paul will be talking a bit later on about the uh, the, the CDP um, aspect of what, uh, Media Fuse is is now offering. But before we get into this, in the handouts is this wonderful piece of research that the Winterberry Group put out, and it's this identity outlook for 2020. Here early on, I'm suggesting if you download that, look at page 42 and 43, you might want to have that handy, uh, only in that there are so many words that get thrown around in privacy and data protection, that you might not be familiar with something like turtle dog or maids or idfa and our panelists i'll try and catch them if if we do get into any of the throwing around acronyms or, or words that you might not be familiar with but just in case if you want to have this open and on the side the glossary is on page 42 and 43 but we'll refer to this report several times during our panel discussion today so first um what I'd like to do is ask each of our panelists just to talk a bit about their personal experience with the pandemic and we'll do that in alphabetic order. So Angelina, how are things going with COVID with you?
2: Uh, I'm a little uh, claustrophobic and I want to get out um, and see my friends and and co-workers. It's been a little challenging but things are good Um, and uh, busy more than ever and Trying to transition into a new organization during COVID, I was only in the office for two weeks when I joined the IAB. Uh, was was a bit challenging, but all things are good. My son's in college. He's driving. He's got my car right now, um, so I'm tracking him on my phone right now. Making sure
1: <laughs> <it did. laughs> and Joanne, how are things going with you in the pandemic?
3: Yeah, m- well, much like Angelina, it's it's been it's claustrophobic. I uh, luckily I've not had anyone. directly close to me that that's experienced it. Um, So, you know, I feel very fortunate. Um, I did move. I actually sold my house very quickly and moved from the New York area to Annapolis, Maryland, uh, just this past weekend. So that's a change for many of you that don't even know I've left New York. Um, You know, all in all, I think... um, I think I'm finding that we're all very resilient. Our, our employees, we are, I mean, we're communicating even better. Uh, I, I think that, you know, given the circumstances, everyone's doing the best they can. I think kids are starting to settle down. And, and you know, I I, I think we're hanging in. And our business has been, you know, we've come back. We've come back. and And it's, you know, knock right. on wood. I just hope we get through this quickly.
4: Yeah, yeah and Paul yeah uh, you know we, we've adapted pretty well uh you know i mean we I think everyone at this point is you know uh used to working remotely um you know we've been able to really make really good, strong, deeper connections with our publishing partners um you know to be able to kind of have zoom you know almost daily zoom calls with all of them and really get to know their business um a lot of our publishers also are looking for different ways to to make money so it's opened up a lot of different conversations and new products um and even you know bringing on a lot of new clients to help uh everyone navigate the the complex space Um, i feel like as angelina said earlier like we're we're busier than ever now um, working from my kitchen table definitely has its, uh, you know, disadvantages, but also, you know, it's, uh, you know, kind of a working longer hours than ever before, me and my staff. But, it, but it's all been positive. Uh, we've been able to help, you know, us grow, help our clients grow, um, and we're really excited about Q4 because we're seeing the uptick in digital spend now, uh, which is starting to really um, pay dividends for for our clients. So we're excited to, you know, see what the next few months will bring.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, here at BPA, we're in Connecticut, and uh, we've had a fairly safe run of it the last few months in terms of new cases and things of that sort. So uh, just last week, they opened bars and restaurants now to 75% occupancy, uh, religious gatherings, and now up to 200 people. And we came back to work in May at 25%, and then maybe about 30 to 45 days later, it got up to 50%. But I haven't yet heard if they're going to increase us in this, I guess phase three, if that's what they're calling it, um, where we might now go to 75%. Now that uh, children are back to school some days, you know, in the week, so we've been humming along at about 50% occupancy here. Um, interesting, we're in Connecticut. There's a lot of space, not a lot, but there's space available in the building, and companies from New York are coming up now and looking to take the space because they they really don't want the hassle that they uh, that this virus has, has presented to them in, in New York City. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic changes things. Um, but moving on, so for our our participants today, our attendees, uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of a background from various media reportings and then lead into questions for our, our panel. Um, and the first one about the ad apocalypse or the cookie-pocalypse has to do with the privacy laws and web browsers are together forcing digital advertising to abandon its main tool, the third-party cookie. So many of us must know now that Google's Chrome joining Safari and Mozilla's Firefox are to block use of cookies by the end of 2021, so 14, 15 months from now. And this was reported in Cybersecurity Law Report, which we were interviewed uh, for that article. Now, the anti-tracking actions of 2017 by Mozilla and Apple blocked third-party cookies for 30% of ads, stopping ad campaigns from measuring consumers' reactions and the effectiveness of the ad targeting. And since then, spending on ads for those browsers dropped over 60%. Now, joining the other web browsers, Chrome, which has a 60% uh, share of the browser market, if they end come December 31st of 21, what is the world to do? So as I had said earlier, we have this wonderful white paper uh, shout out to the International Advertising Association. I was on their board and uh, served as their treasurer for quite a while. And, and we, they did a webinar a couple of weeks ago where Bruce uh, Bagel from Winterbury Group presented the report on the outlook for 2020. And that's why we're providing it to you today. It's really quite good, good deep dive into what the real issue is. And if you want to watch the video of his uh, webinar if you will the hyperlink is in your slide deck so you can click on that you can actually watch bruce take you through some of the details i won't take you through today but i do think it's a great piece of of research on on identity one of the things that they report on is how first and third party cookies play into identity so the question i guess was said Uh, Google and other major browser developers have recently announced plans to discontinue support for third-party audience cookies through their respective platforms. How do you expect this change will affect your use of data? And 60% said, well, we plan to increase spending or increase emphasis on the use of first-party data. And uh, that's both marketers' first-party data and publishers' first-party data. And I think that's a clear signal to publishers that there's an opportunity here to reclaim value in this first party data. So we'll be talking a bit about that uh, today. The next largest, they're all fairly 32 to 37%, so they're, they're fairly in alignment, but increase interest in third party identity resolution solutions. And we'll, we'll touch upon a bit of that. And then more down towards the bottom, um, increase spending and emphasis on contextual advertising. So this is all part of the Winterbury Group's uh, report. And of course, at the end of that research, they'll tell you the methodology about how they went about uh, doing this so that you can get a sense of who is actually answering these questions. So a bit more. Facing a cookie list and a privacy first future, publishers and marketers must pursue a strategy of deepening their own first party data assets and operations, reducing the need of relying on outside ed tech companies. And yet, user tracking, is the fuel that keeps the digital ad industry running. So what are we going to do in these next uh, 14, 15 months before this thing evaporates? With publishers having lost much of their ability to optimize the monetization of their content and the audiences, the evolution provides the best opportunity to recapture revenue from both subscriptions and from advertising. So our questions for our panel, how can publishers and marketing partners maximize first-party data when the third-party cookie audience tracking technology is removed from the marketplace and what do they need to do to get ready and so this is for all three we'll start in uh, again in alphabetic order with angelina what's your perspective angelina help us
2: so i think that uh, both publishers and marketers really need to do an audit of their first party data both their audiences, so first party audiences, as well as uh, their, their websites, and making sure that it's consistent, um, that uh, they adopt some of the, the new standards like the content taxonomy that TechLab has has developed, as well as the audience taxonomy uh, through the data label. And that will help to uh, help both parties to identify exactly who the audiences are and have. Uh, being able to compare apples to apples between publishers as well as ensuring that the content that they're evaluating is in line uh, With with some of the standards. Uh, I think that uh, moving to contextual is going to be uh, a, a big part of uh, uh, Of their revenue moving forward. I think it's, it's a lot cheaper and less expensive than trying to uh uh, grow their first party audience data. However, I think that's also necessary, but that's going to, uh, a lot of publishers are going to need to look at solutions that they may or may not be comfortable at, with right now uh, in being able to share and, and, and have some sort of co-op deal with another partner to, to be able to match audiences with, with the marketer side. So both for uh, publishers and marketers need to really think about their audiences and develop audiences uh, and start thinking about how those audiences interact with, uh, with their content and creating what the privacy sandbox uh, proposal states is cohorts and flocks. Uh, and that's around uh, being able to pull uh, pull different audiences based on certain characteristics um, in an anonymous way.
1: All right. So we got flocks and the sandbox. So there are two terms that are in that glossary that I told everyone yeah. we might want to check into and have a look at that. Um, And this notion of the co-op, most of the publishers I've talked to, if I go back, say, two years ago, are very hesitant to share data within a competitive set, but not realizing that that data is already being shared out through the web anyway. Uh, Not the PII, personally identified information, again, a term in the glossary, um, but more of the data that you'd normally find in the bid stream. I mean, it's out there. And so it'll be interesting to see how the conversation shifts over these next few months. Uh, we'll be presenting, I guess, in a look at the schedule. But in two or three weeks' time, one of our university sessions will be on a consent management platform, a, a system where, in a cooperative way, publishers can um, share first-party data, make sure that it's validated, and uh, and grow their business that way. Um, Joanne, to you then, what's your thought on on this? The demise of the third-party cookie, and, and what are publishers needing to do to get ready?
3: Um, well, at ALM, we've been we've been practicing collecting the first-party data, and and what Angelina said about you know organizing it and making sure. I mean, you've got to have solid business practices with how you collect it, how you uh, disclose you collect what and what you collect and 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 then and then it's that organizing it because we use we've used the first party data for our own targeting um not relying so as much on cookies on third particularly third party cookies we may use second party data to enhance our 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 database but the collecting of the first party so when in publishing when i say first party it might be our print subscribers that so that's the offline data and then we also collect the online first party data of what the contextually what they're clicking on and and organizing that so that you can improve the targeting capabilities and what we've been finding it's really been helping because our our customers expect they expect that reporting they expect an, you know, a bigger ROI now. And they expect to have that data work for them. And if we say it's first party, they're expecting a higher level of performance. So we've been on that path for quite a while. And that's that's been able uh, enabled us to get into more of the account-based marketing and, you know, improving our performance. So what do I think they need to do to get ready is get your database, get it ready and audit it uh, like Angelina said, consider how you're collecting the print, because many of us still print, and it's still valid, and how we collect off the uh, online data.
1: And What sort of a technology solution are you using for that, Joanne? When you say take the offline and marry it with the online, are you, uh, presumably it's outsourced? and
3: Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, publishers, I mean, it's very difficult and it's expensive to try to build your own. You know, you're, you're going to get inconsistent. You're going to get, in. oftentimes, I'm, not, you know, it's no slam on the ALM talent, but you know, oftentimes the ALM talent in house hasn't had that type of exposure on how to organize the data, and and, and so that it can be used anonymously. Um, so we do use we have, we have partnerships. Um, with well, we have a partnership with BPA, for example, we're in the co-op. That's one example of mm-hmm. how we use our data in an outsourced way.
1: Right. And Paul, same question to you. What What are you seeing?
4: Sure. So we get uh, asked a lot. You know, first as a publisher, you know, should I be concerned? Right. And, and the way we we approach it from more of an ad tech infrastructure standpoint is, you know, is the infrastructure in place to be able to handle the the future, right? So I know Angelina mentioned earlier, things are starting to shift more to contextual. So is, is the publisher infrastructure set up to handle the contextual targeting and, and pull from the CMS and be able to actually target that and offer it to the direct and the programmatic partners? So, you know, that's one thing that, you know, we, we should definitely be, be looking at um as well as the ability to collect the first party data so um, partnering with a data management platform or an ad tech firm that can help with collecting first party data first from a first party cookie standpoint but also registration data and then being able to actually use that data like joanne said and and ingest that you know into either programmatic platforms or your direct relationship so being smart and actionable with with what you're doing with that data um so there's definitely Um, a concern for pubs only if they do not take action on on the infrastructure. Um, And if pubs want to get an idea of what kind of revenue losses there could be, uh, it's pretty simple actually. We see, if you run a programmatic open market report um, on just the Safari browser, you'll see a very different uh, monetization versus a Chrome browser right now. We across the MediaFuse network see about almost 65 to 70% less on Safari. Um, so that just shows you how much these advertisers are relying on this third party data. So if no action is taken, you can expect programmatic revenue to drop off the table, you know, as soon as the, the third party cookie goes away. And that'll then eventually start filtering into more of the, the direct type relationships. Um, so the way we look at it, in addition to the ad tech infrastructure, we look at this as if everything's in place, this actually gives the publisher their power back. It, allows publishers to strengthen their relationship with the advertisers and not be reliant on the advertisers data rather you know almost use the data as their own currency uh, to be able to say hey listen you can't get us anymore unless you work directly with us so i feel overall if done correctly the publisher is going to come out much stronger from this all
2: i I do want to add glenn that two things that publishers need to think about is you know registration single sign-on Solution Um, there are companies out there that are starting to look at uh, Providing single sign-on solutions across multiple publishers so that users don't have to sign into each and every website Um, and then the second is around uh, Being able to provide transparency to the users that are visiting their site we're going to get to a stage where where uh, companies are going to need to Provide full transparency on who they're sharing that data with, getting uh, getting consent from those users that that information can be shared and used for marketing purposes, and provide specifics on how it's being shared.
3: Right, and that's- I, I think I just wanted. To, I think a lot of us learned by going through the CCPA. You know, we 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 had GDPR. That was that was one thing, but just going through the recent CCPA and understanding that it's gonna be in other states as well. I think that has helped a lot. I I would love to see if other publishers on this, uh, um, you know, attending feel the same way, but I think it, it has opened a lot of eyes and it's made it much more, you know, we, we realize we have to be more transparent.
1: Yeah, and then on, there's two points there. Um, on the CCPA, there's now CCPR, which is pending legislation, mm-hmm. the votes in November. And it's going to tighten things up even more. Uh, so if folks aren't clued into that, you should do a little bit of research on this next round of legislation that might come about. The big might, but it might come about. And then to Angelina's point, uh, you know, this is an issue that we've been wrestling with with our, our members. And we did that open letter to the industry on data leakage in the bid stream where companies were harvesting site user information and creating third party data out of it without consent both without the publisher's consent maybe but certainly without the consumer's consent and so that is really shifting some focus now to uh, privacy first right and consent first uh, as compared to current business economics so a lot is going to change uh brought about by not only this demise of the third-party cookie but also people paying attention to how is that third-party data actually harvested and are the necessary consents in place Right, so along those same lines, now I'll talk a bit about Apple. And here's another one of those acronyms, IDFA. It's Apple's Identifier for Advertiser, ID for Advertiser. It's a unique code that's attached to every iPhone and iPad. And they had announced that they were going to remove it with iOS 14. Uh, Then there was a backlash from the industry and they postponed the effectiveness of removing the IDFA. They came out with iOS or will come out with iOS 14 but they've postponed the IDFA element of it. But Apple wants apps to ask users for their permission to track the user across other sites and other apps. So you think about that, Apple software runs on roughly half of American phones. And this comes from Joshua Benton as he was reporting through Neiman Lab. But uh, so that's really, again, iPhones and iPads. So how does that really affect our publishers? Are they mobile users only, that you they would rely on this IDFA, or do publishers need to worry about desktop as well? Who's got a point of view on that?
2: I, I think this affects marketers more, um, mm-hmm. well, equally. But on the marketer side, uh, the the goal has always been to have a unified, perspective of who's being exposed or, or the number of people being exposed. Um, so more of a reach and frequency and understanding incrementality. And with the idea of going away as well as the cookie going away, it makes it that much harder for marketers to really understand that. Uh, so the ability to, to, to understand how many people were exposed and then perhaps a tie it back to outcomes becomes more challenging. Uh, this affects their media mix. This affects their ability to figure out what's working and what's not working and where to optimize. Uh, and therefore, uh, without, without that tracking and the ability to do that, uh, there is a negative impact on the publisher side from a revenue perspective because marketers will go ahead and shift dollars to what seems to be working and that will be only those environments that are being tracked.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, jo- Joanne, how much content, or, or do you, I should, I, sorry, the question I'm going to ask is, are you tracking device and how much content is consumed by device? And at ALM, do you have a sense of how much of your content gets consumed using?
3: Yeah, it's, it's a, well, it depends on the market. We have, um, we have five markets. One is legal, where there's not a lot of content consumed on mobile. Um most of it's desktop, but they are using their mobile much more interacting with advertising, which is interesting. Um, and the other our, our other business, you know it's forty percent mobile. So um, we did see that shift. and now that you know whether somebody, you know the concern with advertisers are am I getting somebody? am I really getting them? because everybody's working from home. And it's hard to do that IP, you know, the targeting because is it an IP, is it a consumer domain? And and that sort of has worked out, but I agree with Angelina, it's gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough for us if when this apple. Um, I don't really know the answer. I mean, I I'm real anxious to hear what, what both Angelina and Paul have to say about it.
4: But mm-hmm. ours is more
3: and more mobile, not as much in the legal, but there, we are finding that in the legal, and they do consume content, not you know, not as much. Most of them legal are on their desktops.
1: Right. So then, the next um, slide then just goes on to say, where Apple goes, Google probably needs to follow, or risk losing more Android customers to Apple and their pro privacy stance. So, do we agree or disagree, Paul? What do you think about this notion now? If if IDFA does go away. Is is Android likely to reply? I
4: I do, but just wanna take a step back um, between the desktop and mobile conversation. Uh, I feel that device IDs um, being lost on the mobile side are also gonna affect desktop because what we're seeing in the industry is a lot of these demand sources on the programmatic side are using the device IDs to find the user everywhere, regardless of of what platform they're on. So by removing that, it's gonna remove greatly their, their ability to target. Um, and then, yeah, on the, on the Android question, yes, no, I, I definitely agree they're 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 going to follow suit. I think it's going to be an entire uh, industry shift.
3: But Paul, I'm wondering if we collect as a publisher, if we collect both their consumer information and their work, you know, their work email addresses, their consumer email addresses, home addresses, work addresses, does that help at all?
4: It does. I think there has to be a way to, to unify that, right? And then that goes back to being able to empower the publisher to be able to do it. So if we're doing it in a smart way, where on our end we could identify that user with those various different um, pieces of information we're collecting, um, and then we can target them across the web, then yes, it absolutely can be done. But from what we see with the current infrastructure today, like if this just happened tomorrow, I don't think we'd be able to all do that, right? And, and yeah. marketers would be able to reach that. So the I think
2: it's important the, uh, Go ahead. I, I think it's important. You know, both Apple and Google are are pretty much in a race to to be the one that is the the organization company that is in the forefront of this whole privacy issue. They both have had several statements from each organization that uh, there are two things that they're trying to prohibit: the the, the ability to stitch audiences as well as fingerprint audiences. And those are the two driving factors, um, as well as being the, the company known as the one that's protecting users' privacy. So the, so, so all the products within all all these uh, different companies are going to be affected.
1: Mm-hmm. 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 All right, so then the uh, talk about contextual in that Winterberry report, it says the conversations across the industry, there was consensus that contextual targeting Although not an identity approach, would see further expansion over time, both as a complementary solution for identity and as the primary solution for many of the media owners who occupy the long tail, um, where there's a gap caused by this lack of identity. So it's an issue for B2B publishers who, by and large, do not require registration or subscription to access content. And by and large, as Joanne was alluding to, have not had. Well, I would say before March of 2020, did not really have the need to have home address information. And now, so what do publishers uh, do to solve for the lack of identity? I guess, Joanne, are you is there a shift in ALM? Are you capturing more home address information now to link these things up? Or Yeah, or
3: I, I I'm I I'm a proponent of it, but like like I think it was Paul that said, your 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 infrastructure's gotta be able to support it. Um I mean we're we're paid subscriptions, so to access our content on the legal side, you pay you get you get to read I think I think up right now it's three articles and then you've gotta you've got to give up some information. Um, that's on the legal side that's on about eighteen sites and then and then the other sites it's not locked down with the paid subscription, but I'm a proponent of the uh, Single sign-on, try to grab as much self-reported data. When we talk to advertisers about the value of our data versus third-party data or even second-party data, it's self-reported. Self-reported, it's permissioned. We, you know, they can opt out. But that's, that helps us. But I am a proponent of collecting because if you need to do any kind of enhancement to your database, having both addresses helps because mm-hmm. you don't know where anybody's working now. And the device IDs and, and with some of this going away, like Paul said, it's going to, it's, it's going to be an issue. And right. people, you know, it's,
2: so and is, it's a good there, thing
3: also to have some of the consumer from B2B just to understand the way the behavioral attributes of somebody on a on the consumer side even if i have a b2b relationship with them that that just helps for a holistic view of that of that subscriber
1: right but on the non-gated sites is there a conversation internally now that oh my gosh third party cookies are going to go away we need to capture more first party so maybe we should have something gated maybe not 100 percent but yeah. sections Gated. So is that an active conversation? Yeah. Yes. I thought it might be. Yeah.
3: But it's a scary yeah, thing. Active- It's it's scary to have that, you know, to you know, to pull that band-aid off. I mean, it's you know, it's a you have to test it. Right.
2: And that, and that's that's exactly the conversations that we're having with all our members at IAB and IAB Labs. Um, that that they, they will likely, you know, you can go the anonymous way. Uh, and just go all out contextual, but if you really wanna start looking at audience segments and tying audiences to contextual, you're going to need some sort of audience data, and and that's gonna require probably a registration. So, a lot of solutions Mm -hmm. out there, a lot of proposals are coming in. Um, You're hearing that from the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium, where there's a lot of tech companies uh, in conversation with, uh, with Google, on some of their proposals. Um, and then there's a bunch of working groups over at the tech lab that are specifically focused on accountability and adjustability.
1: And I would think from the consumer's perspective, um, there's gonna be a trade-off. As, as long as I know my privacy is going to be protected and I have the relationship with the brand and I want the content, then I can see the consumer saying, okay, I, I recognize that I third-party tracking and all that bad stuff went away but now in exchange for commerce I have to say I have to opt in and grant some permissions here and I think you know Joanne the way you said you know you can look at three articles before you have to give us the information Um, I, I could see that working as a consumer because I'm I'm in search and I find an article I don't really have a brand relationship yet with the media brand that I click on to read that article and I might not want to return I mean I might just be at this moment in time this is one thing I'm searching on and so, yeah, you might not ask me for registration to get that first article. But once the relationship gets built, I think consumers will be willing to trade off and say, yeah, I recognize, certainly in a B2B world, maybe not as much on a non-subscribed uh, consumer space, but but definitely in, in B2B.
2: What I do find interesting, and, and Joanne, I'd love to know, are you looking at also having more content around bringing, uh, bringing your users together? So more of a community um so if you look at social you know the proliferation of social is the fact that they're okay with providing uh their information and, and and being logged on all the time because it's a destination that they'll go to where they know that they can talk to their peers talk to experts so is that something that uh, paul and joanne that you guys are hearing more about perhaps
3: i i know we are and each the conversation it's not a one-size-fits-all across our markets, so the conversations are happening in, in within within each market. But I am a proponent of the community of of, of doing that. Um, the tech space did it pretty successfully, so it's it's been you know the models there. You know you it may not work exactly that the the way it did in the tech space, but it's the models there. And as long as you follow it and have business practices and do what you say you're going to do. And if somebody wants to opt out, you've got to opt out and you've got to disclose where their how their data is being used, which you should anyway. Um, yeah, I, I think I think it's a it's a good discussion and I'm not sure all B2B publishers are having it. I don't know, Glenn, I think that might that would be a good, good focus for a BPA, a further BPA topic Mm -hmm.
1: what are you doing with community building yep And, and so continuing on that's this same sort of concept uh here we have an acronym but it's work from home so accentuated by the work from home phenomenon that is this pandemic b2b pubs don't have home addresses now the winterbury in their report they predict that email personalization should see an increase in utilization because brands and publishers are using more emails and collecting more first-party data thus creating stronger linkage of the first party cookies and the emails so folks we're going to do a poll because we're curious to know are you also collecting workplace address email address home address and so i'm going to turn it back over to glenn schutz and then we've got a, a second follow-up question are you then linking what you collect to web user identity. So linking the, the offline or the home address or the email address to a web user identity. So I'll I'll leave that up. And then Glenn, can you give us the poll? Glenn Schutz? Yes, sir.
0: Okay, poll, poll has been launched and we'll give it a few seconds for everybody to make their answers. This is uh, multiple choice questions. Answer all that apply, please.
1: We tried to get the Jeopardy music to play now, but I haven't figured that
0: out yet. (laughs) Still working on that.
4: Mm
0: -hmm. All right, I'll give it a couple more seconds. Okay, let's take a look. So if you're a publisher, are you collecting Workplace address, 87%, email address, 93%, and home address, 27%. Okay, interesting. And now to our second question. Let's push this out. There we go. Are you linking what you collect to a web user identity? Please select one, yes or no.
1: And I made note of what you said there, Glenn. I think you said it was 87% get workplace address, 93% email, yeah. and 27% home.
0: Yes, sir. Okay, we'll give this a few more seconds. All right, let's take a look. Are you linking what you collect to a web user identity Sixty-two percent say yes. Thirty-eight percent say no. Interesting.
1: Well, thank you for that. Um,
3: that is interesting.
0: Yeah,
1: and I wonder what it would be if we take this poll six months from now, or or certainly when the cookie goes away at the end of 2021. But it would be interesting to do it six months from now, and then again at the end of uh, 21 or the beginning of 22 to see how this this does
4: change.
3: Well, I would like to hear what Paul's prediction. What, what is your prediction?
4: Uh, prediction as far as as what?
3: As as whether the the linking this this Increased. last poll question.
4: Yeah, as far as the linking will affect uh, overall revenue.
3: It, or if more of us will be collecting the the, the identities. Or in, I think we're yeah, I think we're
4: going to have level. to for, for sure. I, I I think that 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 should be the focus though over the next eight to ten months is. You know, can we have a solution in place to both collect our own first-party data and then be able to link the identities to, to really identify that user? Um, that should definitely be the focus because I feel that if you know, come twenty, I guess twenty-two at this point, if if that goes away and we're not able to link that user, we're going to be losing all of that ability to to target and find that user. So mm-hmm. it, that that definitely should be the focus between that um, and then bringing on the that infrastructure to be able to execute once that does happen.
1: All right. So Joshua Benton, from writing for the Neiman Lab, goes on to say it will become increasingly difficult with the loss of the third-party cookies to recognize unknown or unauthenticated visitors and to provide personalized offers and content to those audiences. One impact he'd expect to see from this is more sites tightening their registration walls, requiring drive-by readers to create and log into an account to even see a single news story. So I, I think that. My personal opinion, that's a bit of a stretch. Um, but as companies seek to increase their data assets, Bruce Bagel from the Winterberry Group said that the consumers are seeing more paywalls and more paid or non-paid authentication before they can access the content. And that, of course, that was what shaped my opinion that I think consumers are willing to make that trade-off as long as they know that they're gonna be protected and that they have a brand relationship. So. Accumulating more consumer details and personal information gives the publisher an opportunity through the subscription and authentication steps to take back a a more significant role in the advertising ecosystem. So the prediction is this is going to empower publishers. So we've got a last poll here that if you're a publisher, what percent of your site's pages are gated? meaning? authentication of the user is required to access content. So the percentage we're asking for now is number of site pages. So is more than 50% of your pages require access or is something else? Glenn, poll's open. Okay,
2: the poll is open.
1: And Joanne, I guess a question to you is, as a publisher, do you even know how many pages require are gated, or is it not set up that way? I and mean, how does it recognize me if I come in and I see a story for the first time, and you count down? I get two more before I have to register.
3: Yeah, it it, it, they, it is counted. It is by the by the pages. Is it is it across all the sites? I, I don't know. I mm. I that's a- Question. Then I'll find out but um, so if you're on multiple pages that you that counts as one so if you get three you're you're stopped
1: All right
0: we've got some results Glenn yes okay if you are a publisher what percent percentage of your site's pages are gated meaning authentication of users required to access content zero percent we've got 33 uh, percent one to ten percent 42 percent. 11 to 50%, 8%, and 51% or more is at 17%. Interesting. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think we'll see that, we'll see the 0% uh, go down significantly. Agreed. uh, In the next couple of years. Um, I mean, the the, the ability to, to, so first-party data, first-party cookies are still going to exist, just not third-party. So the first-party cookie is going to be able to identify how many pages a user gets into, I think there, you know, there there will be tiers where they'll be log in to access content, and then, uh, uh, you know, uh, premium content for either, uh, in a in a more gated uh, pay behind a paywall. Uh, and so those are things that, that a lot of publishers are going to need to think about, um, given that uh, the ability to what what you want to do is prepare for you know using that audience data to create. Uh, cohorts and flocks within privacy sandbox Uh, the ability to uh, uh, anonymously put people in buckets based on behavior off of your first party data so that you can retarget those users so there might be some combinations of you know uh, certain types of content that might create some sort of affinity or profile that you want to start thinking about so having an audience strategy is really important for you Uh, as a publisher, because that's what, as a marketer, so I've been on the agency side for about 20 years, the first thing that they think about is not demo, but is around affinity audiences and and behavior and and, and looking at personas, if you will. So C-level executives, uh, uh, influencers, uh, tech enthusiasts, uh, tech professionals, people who are interested in more of the nuts and bolts versus very high level uh, content. And those are the, so, so a lot of publishers are gonna to need to think about how they are going to bucket their audiences into two different segments.
4: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
1: and that's the cohort. I mean, the, the acronym's yeah. the flock. Federated Hi, Learning following, of cohort.
3: Following, yeah. following anonymous traffic doesn't, doesn't deliver any performance metrics, does not, it might be cheap, but it's not, doesn't deliver anything.
2: Right. I'm kind of using cohorts and flax interchangeably. There are there yep. are differences in the privacy sandbox. Um, tur- they're all part of Turtle Dove. They're, you know, being able to bucket audiences and then the ability to activate audiences off of, uh, from uh, as far as retargeting.
1: Yeah. Right. And again, so for those of us, that's that glossary. If you don't know what turtle dove is, the is there and then you can Google it and there's a host of information out there that'll tell us all about that. And Angelina, you did do the segue there very well that you know, should B2B publishers require more registration to access content such that the first party cookie pools grow. And uh, I think we can say, yeah, we're all in agreement there. Yeah. Um, we have this... Um, Example, the New York Times. They decided months ago to phase out all third-party ad tools in favor of their own in-house data stack, Um, and the Times let advertisers target 45 or more audience segments defined by their own first-party data. Now, that's great for the Times and other big dogs, like the Post, Washington Post, Fox Media, who have the tech capacity to pull this off, but it's harder for the small fry. That's what Joshua Benton says from Neiman Lab. Now, we, you know, we support the small fries. We're here for the B two B community, and the BPA Media Exchange is doing things to help the small fries, according to Joshua, uh, act like the big dogs. And Paul, why don't you tell us a bit about what you're doing there on the data
4: side? Sure. So we've been working to to get in front of this for a while, and really, our overall business model has been for years to be able to bring the ed tech infrastructure that these big dogs do have to all size publishers, so that's been our goal since day one Um, this is now just kind of adding to the value of of what we are bringing so what we're doing is because we have such a wide portfolio of publishers under us uh, we have access to a a premium data management platform which we are able to then bring this to our small to medium sized publishers to be able to collect all these first party data to be able to do run these segments and then be able to take this data and do what we wish with it, whether it's pass it to a direct advertiser or pass it into the exchanges for more private marketplace and guaranteed type deals. Um, so, with with those tools, it will give any publisher with our portfolio um, the ability to do what some of these big organizations are doing. Now, it also takes one step though, which we also help with, but where we would have to work with the publisher is it still does require the sales conversation and you know educating the advertiser as to exactly what we are doing with this data, the value of it, and so on. Um, but I feel that that conversation is going to be a much easier conversation in years to come because advertisers are going to have to rely on the publisher data. So um, th- those conversations are are going to, to start happening. Um, and then just to take a step back to what I mentioned earlier about the EdTech infrastructure, I come from the operations world and building EdTech infrastructure. And conceptually, a lot of this stuff sounds great. But... I'm concerned that most publishers do not have the ability to handle some of these things internally. So um, from an operations standpoint, if I was a publisher, I'd be working you know, this year to be able to make sure that we can accept those types of infrastructures, such as the contextual targeting from a direct and a programmatic standpoint. Um, so there's a lot of things that we do also at MediaFuse as a consultancy is help publishers kind of navigate that ed tech space.
2: Yeah, I think I, finding, finding a right partner in helping you look at the entire stack is really important, right? So that again, going back to auditing your, your even your data layer, uh, your your site structure, so that you can figure out how to help them operationalize it is, is
1: important. Mm-hmm. We um the Winterbury Group talks about cooperation, and they suggest that um, similar to the cohort situation, that a key part of the future whether through publishers grouping together to command a larger voice, these multi-provider publisher co-ops, which is what the BPA media exchange is. Media companies and advertisers participating in ID sharing technologies. So this is fully encrypted or merely hashed second party data agreements between the brands and the publishers or new first content um, ad networks. And they go on to say in a market that has historically promoted collaboration and competition to achieve scale and addressability, the increase in the number of walled gardens, people who can deliver on both, will create a push towards more collaboration. So cooperation is critical to beat the scale of the walled gardens. And the question to Paul is in the media exchange, are we seeing a lift in participation, hence therefore collaboration?
4: Well, yeah, that's what makes the media exchange so strong. And now that we do have this infrastructure in place, we are able to then share the data and even sell across the entire media exchange, uh, which is something that previously wasn't really able to be done. Um, So there's gonna be even more of this collaboration as the the cookies go away and these device IDs go away. The strength of almost, you you know, strength in numbers kind of comes into play here and being able to share the data, have that second party data and be able to sell for either the publisher or BPA to sell across the portfolio becomes even stronger now than it ever has been before.
1: And so Winterberry says they expect that the increased market complexity and identity will require chief data officers to expand their roles and place themselves at the center of efforts to reduce the media silos that separate paid, earned, owned, and used. And this is sort of a segue, Paul, from what you were saying earlier about uh, talent gaps, not tech gaps, right? The development of talent that overlaps the marketing and the advertising strategy data and data science, and then data privacy will be more critical in this post-cookie privacy regulated market than ever before. Uh, They go on to say, you have to start figuring out internally who's going to lead these efforts and who's going to be the crew that's driving this. Ultimately, it seems like a lot of this will fall on the shoulders of operations teams and folks who are used to consistent challenges every uh, eight to 16 months, but, being able to identify who's going to lead is crucial. And this comes from uh, Eric Requidon from Media Tradecraft, and that came out of the Live Intent Newsletter. So thinking about that, and Joanne, maybe a question for you as well, do media companies uh, need to do, what do they need to do to get themselves ready to come out ahead? You know, talent gap versus tech gap. What's your opinion?
3: Um, well i i mean i think my opinion is outsourcing uh because you get a collective you get you really get the best of breed of of talent when you're outsourcing rather than rather than trying to train from within the within staff the in-house staff is certainly there i think there's a place for both i think you know we do we have outsourced much of our ops so we are using the bpa of exchange for header bidding. And we want to be in an environment where the playing field is leveled. So we can offer, you know, we can offer solutions, high, you know, high-tech solutions to our advertisers um, and not have to try to build it internally or not try to have the talent that understands and then then we can understand more about header bidding when we've got an outsource a way to just turn it over and let sales do their selling. Um, mm-hmm. So I mean I we we do outsource our 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 ad ops today mostly the trafficking, um, and I think I think there's even a more call for just using the best of breed that some of the some of the outside technologies bring us that we would never build we would we just we're not going to build it
1: right right um and and we'll come back to this a bit later on uh, Paul when I have another uh, slide that speaks to this but I wanted to just show our audience from the Winterberry Group report they uh compartmentalize websites into four categories And at the top you've got the big dogs as they said google facebook and amazon in the walled gardens and they put most of us b2b publishers and special niche consumer publishers down at the bottom in this thing called rolling hills media owners and publishers with limited scale and first party data and limited unique monthly visits meaning small amounts Uh, examples include specialty publications and, uh, and news repurposers now What we want to do is move the exchange into the communal garden area which is really Mm -hmm. where publishers cooperate there's a medium-sized media owners that are typically in there Uh, the uniqueness of content or the audience is likely to have um, individual or shared first party data to make the creation and distribution segment so this talks about greater leverage of probabilistic segmentation and attribution uh, via clean rooms that's another uh, word from our glossary, clean rooms, and data-driven contextual. So we're we're moving from rolling hills to communal gardens, uh, largely, I would say, uh, of our own device, but driven by the fact that the third-party cookie is, is really going to go away. Um, and so for Angelina to tell us, you know, we've got more acronyms here, but in, it's clear from Winterberry's research that there is no support voiced for a single ID solution to rule above all others. In other words, people were sort of hesitant to say, oh yeah, Google should own Universal ID or Apple should own Universal ID, but there is strong support to move forward with standards through Project REARC, through uh, PRAM, and through the W3C to the extent possible. So Angelina, I'm not sure our audience will understand the acronym, so if you could take us through that, and what are those industry bodies doing to protect both buyer and seller interests?
2: Yeah, so the, uh, it is true. There is no solution for a what I'll call a universal user ID. There will be several companies that will most likely manage uh, the ability to hash IDs uh, across pub- a variety of publishers and, and be, the, be help syndicate audiences back and forth, um, but the ability to have one entity or one organization hosting all the uh, a single user ID mechanism is most likely not going to happen especially given uh, that this is a global issue and not just a US issue um, as far as the organization so project REARC is a uh, initiative here at the IAB tech lab and IAB where it's focusing on I like I said earlier uh, two working groups around accountability and addressability so developing tech standards for an interoperable Environment community, where we'll have some standards that uh, uh, that allow for the ability to um, to host the mechanisms of of being uh, to to host the user safe uh, 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 mecha- uh mechanism as well as from a targeting standpoint. So uh, we are very active with, like I said, the W3C, which is the World Wide Web Consortium. Right now, there's a group called the Web Advertising Working Group and also a Privacy Working Group. Um, they both are focused on two different areas. Uh, so the uh, Business Working Group is focused on developing solutions to help with. Right now, a lot of it is around retargeting and audience, uh, uh, audience segments and, and how it will be processed. There hasn't been, uh, what I'll say, a lot of voice coming from Apple. And Safari and the other browsers, it's been predominantly Google. Um, there's also this other organization that, uh, that you, you brought up called PRAM, which is an uh, acronym for the Partnership for Responsible Addressable Media. Uh, that is a collaboration, a coalition of various trade organizations and marketers and publishers. Uh, we have ANA, and Forays, WFA, IAB, IAB Tech Lab, General Motors, NBC, and ver- uh, and Publicis, uh, as some of them. And there are four working groups. One's focused on uh, developing the business use cases. Um, and the, uh, the next one is around governance and policy. The third one, uh, the tech lab is leading the tech standards. And then the fourth is around education uh, for both the the industry as well as with consumers. Um, the The letter that you, uh, the, the, the issue with Apple and IDFA, the, the PRAM uh, coalition had sent out an open letter to the Apple um uh, uh, Apple company to come to the table to talk about IDFA, and the deprecation of the IDFA, as well as the other future um, modifications that they're thinking about. Um, I would assume that we'll probably have the same type of conversation with Google in the future, um, but we're all working on bringing uh, communities together uh, from various parts of the industry to come to the table to have healthy conversations um, and understand the impact this will have both economically and financially for a lot of the companies that are out there especially on the publisher side because uh, at the end of the day the marketers have the dollars and the publisher and but we need the publishers to be able to 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 reach audiences uh, tech companies are in the middle trying to help facilitate and so really helping to try to find solutions for the publishers and the ad tech so that marketers and agencies can
1: Uh, figure out where exactly they want to spend their dollars. So there's a lot going on, in in the short, uh, from industry bodies who are wrestling with the demise of the third-party cookie, but also consent management, data protection, and privacy. And as a result of all of this, just as a sort of a parting shot, um, Freeport Press, David Pilcher, had said, Marketers are rediscovering the true value of printed ads especially in trusted magazine media, and that was in July. And I think there's some pandemic related uh, conversation happening there, but Joanne, what, is ALM seeing any lift in print ads from say, March till now?
3: Um, I would say it's more flat, um, but we have a couple markets, like our credit union markets has been, um, has grown. Um right. But I would say we we haven't, but it's not down. So we think that that's the last thing to come back. I think as Paul said when we kicked off, digital fourth quarter is expected to be really strong. I think I think print's going to follow that.
0: Right.
1: All right. So now we have Q and A. Glenn, do we have any questions from our audience today?
0: We've got a couple of questions. Uh, the first is. I guess to the group, um, do you think the outcome of the presidential election will have any effect on the continued use of third-party cookies? I would
2: say, <laughs> I would say that there is a, 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 you know, our our policy team is very focused on on uh, working with uh, the people at the Hill. On several topics, and we think that in a democratic uh, government, that there will be a lot more conversations and legislation that will come about to ensure that users are protected. Um, but who knows? <laughs> it's uh, it depends on, on who 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 wins the House and the Senate, and if we can get uh, the same same people on board to to move things along. It's been slow.
1: Yeah, from our involvement, what we've seen, when we did that open letter on on the data leakage in the bid stream, um, the follow-on to that was representatives, both senators and representatives, wrote a letter to the chair of the uh, FTC, I think it was, and there was some bipartisanship there. So I think Angelina's spot on. I'm not so sure it matters who's in the White House as much as it is can you get legislation through the House and the Senate. Uh, but there is focus on one national... Uh, privacy regulation, rather than fifty states having fifty different things that we've all got to comply with. so i I don't know how quickly that'll happen, but but people recognize the logic of that, the common sense of it. I know Paul, are you hearing anything on the tech side from customers about that?
4: I haven't heard anything, but I mean, I think we could just follow the trends, right? GDPR, you know, came out last year on it. We're, we're starting to see it here. Uh, I don't know if it mattered who's in White House, but I feel like we all need to be prepared for for the privacy laws and just kind of assume that we're already there and, and prepare ourselves to be able to handle that at, at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I right. think that the states are going to, the states are demanding that the feds, because each state, the legislation's different and that's going to be Impossible to work in and have an economic, a good economic outcome. But the Feds of the Feds, the current Fed, wanted to uh, wanted it to be at the state level, and now it's pushed back to federal.
0: Yeah. Agreed. Any other questions, Glenn? One other question for uh, Joanne: Uh, What percentage of home addresses have you been able to capture so far?
3: Yeah, that's been it's 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 been slow because. We were moving away from from collecting the home addresses in 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 uh, in a couple of our markets, and you know, w- with uh, website redesigns that we're doing, we're hoping to get more and more, but it's 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 still a small percentage.
1: Yep. All right. Well, thank you, panelists. I appreciate your time and, and effort today. Uh, but now, a word from our sponsor, which is me. <laughs> Uh, For those of the media buyers who are joining us today, I just wanted to, again, remind you that the BPA Media Exchange is there for you to automate your buying and selling in the B2B space. So do look us up for that, the BPA Media Exchange. And then also, this was something that Paul was also talking about, uh, that BPA ops we offer publishers an opportunity to outsource filling knowledge or experience voids in the internal team. Uh, and Paul, if you want to speak to that just briefly, and we did do this webinar, which is in the archive, so if someone wants to go back in and, and learn about that, but but talk to us just real briefly about that.
4: Yeah, sure. It's just uh, I think Angelina said the word earlier, holistic, right? And, and that's one thing that publishers need to start looking at the entire business holistically, and. And that's one thing that we do offer at Mediafuse uh, is be able to look at the entire business from the ops perspective, the selling perspective, the ad tech infrastructure perspective, and be able to help publishers look at that holistic view to be able to arm them and sh- make strengthen them in, in all areas. So one thing that we do is, you know, we help, you know, kind of audit everything from the ad serving to the ad tech uh, header bidding to the you know, data management to the management of direct campaigns. And we really act as a resource for publishers, both on the consultation strategy side, but also on the actual execution side and, and showing you know, exactly what leverage should be pulled here and there and being able to act as either an extension of their team or their, their team uh, for them, everything ad monetization related.
1: So our speakers that day, we had North Star was represented, ALM again was there, and Meister Media. So if anyone is interested to, to hear from your fellow colleagues about what how they're coping with it, uh, go on into the archive and, and pick up that, that video that we did, the BPA University. So, uh, compliant with privacy and data protection requirements. We're seeing a lot now of, of this focus on the consumer side. So aside from GDPR and CCPA, Nevada, and there are now 14 other states that have are in the process of new or stricter regulations that are pending. So who is keeping you up to date within your organization on those regulations and checking to make sure you're in compliance with each? And what vendors have access to your subscriber and website user data? Uh, fulfillment companies, telemarketers, list rental, um, the demand side, the supply side, advertisers, marketers, and who else? Uh, so we are introducing iComply privacy and data protection. It's designed to provide the publisher or the marketer with a simplified privacy compliance management platform, empowering business to manage risk, reduce costs, and stay current with uh, changing privacy regulations. And it includes the opportunity for a vendor compliance hub, which some publishers might avail, but I think it really applies to the marketers, where there's a drill down in the supply chain to see, are your vendors complying with the requirements for consent management? And so using the standardized compliance and risk score, uh, we give you information you need to evaluate and audit your vendor risk. And as I said, we had the first uh, ed tech company has signed on to be, uh, for us to do a gap analysis first of of their uh, compliance against uh, the California CCPA. Um, So, end of commercial message, future BPA university sessions, um, October 7th, next week, What's happening on the newsstand? We have some very interesting information, particularly with respect to Canada and how their newsstand sales are growing. And so we'll do that 11 o'clock Wednesday on the 7th, the week after on the 14th. And this was a theme that we talked about today, consent management and then system certification. And what are those two things? Consent management is fairly obvious where we're looking at a universal system where we can help publishers in a cooperative way. And system certification talks about an audit of fulfillment systems to then uh, accept any of the data output on a brand by brand or a media title by media title uh, basis. So that, that'll be new and somewhat provocative, October 14th, Wednesday at 11. And then continuing on what we just talked about as i was closing out here, privacy and data protection, we'll have a university session on Tuesday, October 20th at 11 o'clock, all about uh, the future of privacy and data protection, what's gonna happen now that the third-party cookie's going away, and what we all need to do to, uh, to be safe and risk-free. So again, here is the list of all the past university videos that are out there. And on the 2nd, September 2nd, we did the one on optimizing digital ad ops, if anyone's interested in, in seeing that. And again, go to our LinkedIn group, join, request to be there, so you can consume the content that we are uh, recommending to be consumed by our publishing community. And that's the end for the day. So again, I'd like to thank our three speakers, Angelina Eng, Paul Salomon, and Joanne Kropp for joining us today to talk about this important issue. And if you have any other questions, you can email us and we'll get you some answers. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great yep. day. Thanks. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this BPA University podcast. For more BPA University podcasts, visit iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify.